Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and today our very special guest is Terry Linval, a film historian who occupies the C.S. Lewis Chair of Communication and Christian Thought at Virginia Wesleyan University in Virginia. And he's authored uh, a dozen or so books, including the one we're talking about today, God on the Big Screen, a history, believe it or not, of Hollywood prayer from the silent era to today, published by New York University Press. And you will be astonished, as I was when I read the book, to find out how much prayer was depicted on the big screen in Hollywood movies from the silent era to the present day. So, Terry, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brent, so much. Yes, prayers are ubiquitous. I mean, you cannot get away from them. It's as if Hollywood wants to preach to us. Well, my my question was, why was prayer depicted and why is press still obviously depicted so often in Hollywood movies? Well, more often in the old days, I suppose. I think we don't give enough credit to scriptwriters, and scriptwriters kind of tap into human experiences. They're, they're not the ones like the actors, the directors who are in the public eye all the time. And so they're watching and they have an ear for human conversation and human communication. And I think they recognize, many of them, that one of the most significant moments of quiet is when a person might pray. And they begin to kind of put these in. In fact, many times they probably don't know what to do. And they go, let's pray. <laughs> let's put in a prayer. It's a good time for a prayer. And maybe that'll resolve everything. I mean, the deus ex machina happens at the end of some of these films, but it still works. And uh, I think it's, it's one little kind of trick that scriptwriters can grab and say, let's see how this works. And it generally changes the whole tenor of a film. Yes. How have movies shaped the way we view prayer over the decades? Uh, that's a really good, broad question. Um, even starting with the uh, the silent era, where we have the Victorian kind of uh, zeitgeist, where, where people are quite respectable and they follow a, a decent mode of living with each other. And so you find prayers there that are kind of customary prayers. But you'd be surprised that in the Western in particular, um, you find Protestant ideas of prayer and repentance of an individual seeking salvation. And, and one of my favorites from that time is Hell's Hinges uh, with William S. Hart. And William S. Hart is this good bad guy. He's kind of a Clint Eastwood character. In fact, Clint Eastwood has a lot of prayers too. But William S. Hart is just this bad guy helping a saloon owner and this mission couple come into town. And her name is Faith. And he's really struck by her piety. This is a good woman. Her brother, the minister, is a rascal. He's a scamp. He's going to be seduced by the saloon girls. But Faith is a woman of God. And so he, he starts watching her, and he goes to the scripture, and he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. And so he's sitting there with his cigarette, his whiskey bottle, drinking, reading the Bible, and he says, God, if you mean this, I'm asking for her. Now, her is Faith. So he's asking for Faith as well, the woman and the experience both. And by the end of the film, he has brought the apocalypse on, but he's also rescued the, the people of God. So it's just, it's, it's an amazing moment that twists the whole film around. I want to come on and talk about the prayer, depictions of prayer, almost decade, decade by decade, if I may, and if we have time, because I find it fascinating the way you've, uh, you've charted the arc of prayer and depictions of prayer in Hollywood. But why did Hollywood think that religion and prayer in film mattered because clearly they did. There's so much of it in these movies. Yeah, I, I think many people saw the success of Cecil B. DeMille when he turned from his kind of romantic bedroom comedies and went into uh, the Ten Commandments in 1923 and King of Kings, 1927. 
and they were blockbusters. They made a lot of money, um, so much so that the Cone brothers uh, of Columbia, Harry and Jack, came together, and uh, they thought, let's make, let's let's have Columbia make a, a religious movie. And Harry said to Jack, "You don't know anything about religion." And Jack said, "Yes, I do." And Harry said, "Well, tell me the Lord's Prayer. I bet you fifty bucks you don't know it." And Jack said, "I bet you fifty bucks I do." He said, "Okay, say it." He said, "Now I lay me down to sleep." And Jack said, "Okay, here are your fifty bucks." So not nobody knew, you know, but they knew that religion would sell because most people were still religious. And the silent era, you still have that this aware, this biblical literacy among so many people. People knew the Bible and the Bible stories, unlike today. I mean, I've got classes where students have never heard of David and Goliath. They've never heard of Jonah. It's it's just the biblical illiteracy is amazing in this generation. But back then they knew. And so you get a film like Sparrows with Mary Pickford, where there are prayers scattered throughout. And, and they're genuine prayers. They're, they're humorous prayers, but they're prayers from a heart to God. There's a conversation that is just really fresh and vibrant. What sort of prayer and what types of praying have you found in Hollywood movies? All different kinds. Uh, there are basically prayers of confession. Uh, Gregory Peck in the, in the 50s was in a film called The Great Sinner of uh, Dostoevsky's The Gambler. And uh, in that prayer, he has this addiction to, to gambling. And so he goes into the church and it's a powerful scene of confession where he's kneeling down at the altar and he's looking up at the crucifix and um, there's a money box there for the poor. And he hears the change go in, tinkle, 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 tinkle. And all of a sudden his gambling instincts, he's there and he, he pleads with God. I mean, he just cries out, God, save me from this. And he's almost there going to steal it, but a ray of light comes through and answers his prayer. So we have confession, we have adoration. Joe in the volcano, when Tom Hanks is out in the water and all of a sudden he, he looks up into to the heavens and he goes, oh God, thank you. You are so big. And it's just amazing. And then we have intercession where people pray for one another. African Queen is probably one of my, my favorite with Humphrey Bogart and uh, Catherine Hepburn. And she's there and they have reached the nadir of their, their journey escaping from the Nazis. They're in a swamp that has dried up. They've had leeches all over them. Humphrey Bogart has a fever. And there you stop. And this is where the whole narrative changes because Catherine Hepburn looks up to heaven. She says, Lord, we haven't been good people but we need you. And I pray that you would see basically Humphrey Bogart, take care of him and open your heavens. And within five seconds, it starts to rain. It lifts the boat up, the African queen and drives them off, floats them off. So you see that in the intercession when they're praying for one another. And, and so they're, they're basically adoration, confession, thanks, lots of thanksgiving. Uh, we'll talk about later probably where all the people say grace and prayer, so many grace prayers. But it, those are usually comic moments. But generally, confessions are, are prayers of really angst and of existential crisis for many of the characters in prayer. And when they don't have someone to talk to, they talk to God. And that God hears in, in many of these cases. Speaking of Humphrey Bogart, there's an absolutely fascinating one called Brother Orchid, which I yes, think you allude to in your book. <laughs> I know. It, he, that is a strange movie. It's awful. Movies. Well, one of my other favorites with Catherine Hepburn is Spitfire, uh, done in the 30s. And in Spitfire, she plays this kind of strange Pentecostal out in the country. And um, she reads the verse from Matthew, you know, seeking you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, uh, asking shall receive. And she goes, knock? Why are you supposed to knock? Well, it says so. <laughs> okay, now what? <laughs> 
and it's just i mean it's very clever but it's also very genuine there but these these great actors and actresses are in the movies praying yes and i suspect many of them probably had some kind of personal faith as well didn't they i mean you you deal with mary pickford in your in your book she's a fascinating character she is i mean in, in her life too is uh, besides all the success at the beginning she went through some crises later on and um and she wrote a little book called why not try god uh, just in, in her latter days and so you see the tenderness in her and in all of her films yet i think there was one of her films that really marked the, the beginning towards secularism i just wrote a new book called souls for sale it was about rupert hughes the uncle of howard hughes mm, mm. agnostic in the 20s and made a film called souls for sale which is about a Midwestern pastor's daughter who leaves the faith and goes to Hollywood and finds a new religion. But one of the key moments may have happened in Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. In, in that film, uh, Mary Pickford, playing Rebecca, has been denied dinner because of her mischief. And so her aunts, they'll make her clean up after the dinner. So she brings the dishes in and she brings in this cherry pie. And the cherry pie is sumptuous. You can, even in black and white and silent, you can taste it. And she's there looking at it, starving at it, and she starts to dip her finger into it. And suddenly she looks up and she sees a sampler on the wall above her that says, thou shalt not steal. She puts the pie down, begins to walk out of the room and she sees another sampler. This one, not from the 10 commandments, but this one from Benjamin Franklin that says, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> and so she goes back and just gobbles down the pie. But it's an interesting change from the biblical ethic to a secular ethic of Benjamin Franklin. That's my next question. H how did the movies help transform a, what was a biblically-based culture in the States into what you call, I think, an American civil religion? And I think that really happened in the 20s, when all of a sudden money was, was free and loose, and so were morals. And uh, prayers then, influenced by books like Sinclair Lewis's Elmer Gantry, and then versions of Sadie and, and Marine, these be became kind of you look at missionaries and missionaries became hypocrites. And so there was a darker view at this time. And so it, it moves up to about 1930, 31, when you have the production code come along. And this is when the Catholics took over, the Roman Catholics took over the film industry. And the Protestants were basically shoved to the side, even though their hegemony early on had been very strong. But now the Roman Catholics really dictated for the 30s what it was gonna be like. And they said, you cannot ridicule religion. And so religion disappeared quite a bit during the 30s, even though it was controlled by religious groups. Yeah, the production code is interesting, isn't it? Because it, when was it brought in originally? In the 20s? But it didn't, I, really, it didn't really get finalized until I, I think the date in my head is about 1934. Exactly. Uh, we, we started about 23 mm. with um, Will Hayes. Will Hayes was the postmaster general of Presbyterian. And there were censorship problems because of fatty arbuckles kind of a scandalous case where he was actually exonerated finally. And uh, several other scandal, scandals, William Taylor in, in Hollywood. And because of that, they put him in to be a censor, but nothing happened, films got worse. And so it was in the, in the early thirties that the Catholics started getting involved. And finally, Joe Breen and others took over by 1934. They really put teeth into the production code by really fighting with Warner Brothers in the city of Philadelphia and saying that we're going to take our Roman Catholic uh, population, our congregations away from your theaters unless you sign with us. And so there was this collusion between the Hollywood industry and the Roman Catholic Church to really control the content for the next two decades. 
How did the 30s, because all this came to fruition in the, or completion really, in, in the mid 30s, isn't it? And you see the change, the dramatic change in movies, I can certainly from about that late 1934, 1935 period, things that were depicted in films even a year or two before, you won't find depicted after about 1935. It's, it's dramatic. But how did the 30s secularize the film industry, do you think? Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, when you look at the early 30s, you have Mae West and Betty Boop. And, and just what images kind of conjure up in your mind with those two? I love my waist. <laughs> <laughs> so after after we kind of passed them and we kind of shovel them away, we we made Betty Boop skirts longer. With the Roman Catholics controlling, everyone was very sensitive about what they would put in their films, and so they left religion out. And this the problem with censorship is that all of a sudden, not all the flowers are going to bloom. There are going to be some that are going to be kind of put in the shadows. And that really was primarily faith issues. And so you don't get a lot of faith. When you do, you get kind of a generic faith. Um, in you can't take it with you. The, the kind of great Broadway play turned into um, kind of a Frank Capra film. And at the end, Lionel Barrymore stands up there and he gives kind of a, a folksy prayer where you know we're all loved by God and we're all one family and let's just dig in and eat. And, and that's really kind of squelching kind of true religious faith and passion. Then the 40s come and it begins to sneak back in in a lot of the war films. You see that there are no atheists in foxholes. You see that in films like Bataan, generally one soldier has a religious background and usually it, it's an African-American and, and these black former black preachers come out and they begin to pray. And, and their prayers have some authenticity to it. Even Hitchcock in his film Lifeboat, the person who knows the 23rd Psalm with all these sophisticated people on the lifeboat is this one black preacher. And so we find kind of an emergence of an underground uh, religious faith coming from minorities and people on the sidelines. But generally, we move to a civil religion. Mm. How is, well, you mentioned Frank Capra, a fascinating director. How is prayer used in the movies of Frank Capra? Frank Capra uses, uses prayers as, he has really kind of godly people um, from Mr. Smith goes to Washington or Mr. Deeds goes to town, but, but they are, again, generic, generic religious people. Um, there, there's nothing that they would say that would offend anybody. When we get to It's a Wonderful Life, a film that basically bombed when it first came out, we find it opening with prayer and having prayer all the way through, an angel kind of descends. And the intercessory prayers at the beginning of that film are just one of the most beautiful collections of a community coming together and praying for one person. And so there's something happening there in Capra, bringing it out finally in the late 40s after the war. Yeah. How, how did prayer, we've alluded to this a little bit, but how did prayer change in movies made during the Second World War? In the Second World War, we find like in the 60, 69th, 69th, you have chaplains. Chaplains start appearing. And chaplains are basically the spokesperson for prayer. I mean, when you get a chaplain, one thing you hope you get is a prayer. Maybe one thing you don't hope you get is a prayer because they're long. And some of them are very long. And some of them are specific and, and really kind of speak directly to God. Others really celebrate American society and American, who we are as Americans fighting the enemy, the devil. And those prayers, some of the prayers there too are watered down. And so we, um, we get this kind of mix that is happening until we come out of the war and all of a sudden we're going to move into a secular and cynical age. This is the time when all of a sudden we don't believe in the power of God to answer our prayers. 
We've seen so much suffering. We've seen the Holocaust. And there is a new kind of existential fear and angst uh, that has gripped people. And so many of the clergy themselves in films are really struggling with who they are. Night of the Iguana, for example, Richard Burton, any role Richard Burton plays uh, has this kind of doubt. And he does talk to God, but you wonder really how well he knows him. How is prayer used in film noir in that particularly thinking of that post-war period? And how is Christianity depicted in film noir? Because there are Christian themes in film noir. Oh, the depravity of man is all over film noir. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, the postman, you know, rings twice. Uh, When when you look at all of them, I think what film noir does, it it removes the kind of veneer, the, the facade of us being a good people. It begins to show human beings in our actual state, that we are sinners. All of us are sinners before God. And, and so in that sense, it is kind of a pre-evangelistic tool to, to say, let's strip away this kind of idea that we are the good people, because we can look at the heart of man and we can see the darkness that is there. Films changed dramatically during the 60s, of course, with the uh, removal of the production code eventually. I think, was it about 1968? They finally yeah. removed it altogether. Um, it, yeah, and, and basically everything broke loose. Um, everything from pornography to, um, to strange different kinds of films. But what we find even during this time is that there are seeds of faith, even in some of the most radical films of the time. Um, one of my, my favorite films of this time is Easy Rider. And I remember seeing Easy Rider and just being kind of blown away, no pun intended because the end of the film, but later on looking at it and seeing that there were two very pious film, uh, prayers in this film. The first is kind of a reference to an Hispanic community where they pray in the name of Jesus. And it's a small, wonderful little family that have taken in kind of orphans. And, and you, you're, you're stricken by this is the real America, hopefully. The people that actually seek God and love God and share what they have with others. The second is really, I, I think, indicative of the times of the late 60s when the Jesus movement was beginning to emerge out in Costa Mesa, California. And you see the Jesus movement and the, he goes in, they go into a kind of a hippie commune and they're standing around as all these hippies and just celebrating the earth, but celebrating God. Uh, and, and so it's a, an amazing historical document. Then they get down to New Orleans and they go get high on acid and everything else. And the Lord's Prayer comes out in ways that they can't understand it. The modern man, the, the person of the 60s, the rebel of the 60s, doesn't know how to grapple with God, but they know there's a God. And so it becomes really just, just something that blows you away. How did prayers in the 90s and probably a bit earlier than that in the 80s show clergy in fresh light? Well, that I think it's a wonderful kind of change that, that we see with films that reaffirm faith. Films such as Hoosiers, for example, just take a basketball film. And uh, David Anspaugh, who was the director and his writer, just said, what is really essential about middle America? And so they both, they not only did Hoosiers, but they did Rudy, uh, the Roman Catholic story about the, the little football player that goes to Notre Dame. And both of them are laden and kind of fertile with prayers because they recognize these are people that live with God, that con- converse with God daily. It's not something that they just do one day a week, but it's part of the whole fabric of their lives. And so the, the prayers that come out are very positive. Then Bobby Duvall does films like Tender Mercy, in, in which people are talking to God and seeking to God and trying to understand tragedy in their lives. And so it, it's a wonderful time of this kind of revival of prayers uh, in, the, in the 80s and early 90s. How did prayer return to movies really in the last 
20 years. I think your book, your book goes up to, I think, 2017, doesn't it? But I, I think, first of all, prayers come back with a vengeance in comedy. And this really happens with everything from Meet the Parents to Talladega Nights to um, Don't Look Up. I, I don't know if you've seen these films, all of a sudden, prayers come back in. And the first one, Meet the Parents, what we find is that Ben Stiller's character has just gone to a grocery store. And what did he hear in the background? What was the music in the background of the grocery store? It's Godspell, day by day. So he goes to his fiance's parents for dinner and they ask him to pray. He says, you think Jews can't pray? He says, you know, we, we thank you for the day and by day, day by day, three things we ask, Lord, that we may see thee more clearly. He goes through the whole song from Hollywood. He has learned the, the, the prayer from a film and a play, and he recites it there. And so it's really kind of a very clever moment. Secondly, we have um, Talladega Nights, which the prayer scenes are just amazing. I mean, that, that's what the only thing that holds Bobby Lee together. Um, or what's, what's his name? Bobby. Um, <laughs> but he's there and he's talking about the eight pound, six ounce, you know, newborn baby Jesus. And gets commercialized there. But they're funny prayers because they're actually kind of touching something about how we talk to God and how we converse with God. And secondly, how we all create God in our own image. And that is something there where we create idols of God that we talk to. And it shows whether it's a ninja or, or someone at a concert, we create these images. And so they really kind of break that illusion for us. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that I, I, you may have seen that at a NASCAR race two year, a year after that happened, there was a Baptist preacher who got up and imitated the prayer from Talladega Nights and thanked God for his smoking hot wife and everything else. And so uh, you, you find prayers are teaching people how to pray as well, even in silly ways. Do you, we're just about uh, time to close, but do you have, apart from It's a Wonderful Life, do you have one or two favorite examples of prayer in movies from the last, well, 110 years? Yes, I do. So? Me, I'll close with, with two of them um, that I think are just really important. Uh, the first one, I find Tyler Perry stuff very funny, particularly as Medea. And I can do bad all by myself. Uh, Medea is trying to teach a young girl how to pray. And, and she messes it up so amazingly and just mixes up the, 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 the whale and Jonah with the shark of Spielberg and Jaws. And it is just, it, it's kind of very clever, but it also gets to the fact of how do we pray? And the movies are showing us how to pray. The other one, which um, I, I just am stunned by every time I see it, is the Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. And in the Book of Eli, Denzel Washington's character stops. Eli stops right in the middle with, uh, with a young woman, and he takes her hand before they eat. And he says, this is what we say. And she has no idea what prayer is. And he is teaching her how to pray. And this is what the movies do. They teach us how to pray. And for people who haven't prayed before, they don't know. And they, they haven't been to church or synagogue, but they see these movies teaching us and they begin to try to talk to God. And so, and I think in that way, it really opens up the heavens for all of us. Thank you, Terry. Terry Linval, a fascinating subject. The book is God on the Big Screen, A History of Hollywood Prayer from the Silent Era to Today, published by New York University Press. I've been talking to Terry Linval. You'll be astonished at how much praying went on on the big screen from the beginning of Hollywood until the present day. Uh, and Terry mentions many of my favorite movies in the book, and indeed it's great to see them. But when you see them itemized, Terry, one after the other, you think, oh, yeah, that's right. I've forgotten that in that film. So thank you so much. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge 
Digital, who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes and try and keep me under control, which is a difficult task. Terry, thank you so much for your time. A pleasure, Brett. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.